The title of the message this morning is The Prayer Jesus Prayed for Us. Would you say that with me? The Prayer Jesus Prayed for Us. Please turn so long in your Bible to John chapter 17, and we'll get there in a few moments' time. And Lord, I thank you for the anointing of the Lord as this word is shared. I believe that this word is life-giving and will bring encouragement and direction and a heart of longing for you. So have your way, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in terms of uh, kind of an introduction, let me say the following. Have you ever wished that you could have sat next to Jesus in one of his personal times of prayer? Imagine that, because we are busy speaking about, Lord, teach us to pray in this year. And imagine if you could have had that opportunity to sit right there next to the master, Jesus. Just you, nobody else. Next to the master. And Jesus is praying, and you could just be learning from him as he's praying. Wow, what an incredible experience that would have been. Well, let me tell you this, that... The whole of John chapter 17, all 26 verses, is actually a record of Jesus' personal prayer to the Father. I don't know how it was captured. I don't know if there was a scribe next to Jesus busy writing this prayer. or, But whatever the case is, we have ended up with a whole chapter of Jesus' praying. And I want to just also encourage you that you would consider taking time to read through this chapter yourself, realizing, wow, this is my Savior praying. Oftentimes when we want to learn about prayer, we go to Matthew chapter 6, our Father who art in heaven. That's wonderful. But here you get a whole chapter of Jesus himself praying. And so maybe you would like to do that. I challenge you to read through that chapter sometime in the next few days. And just read and just see what's happening here. What's Jesus praying about? What is important to him? And so it's virtually like sitting next to Jesus, listening to his prayer. And by the way, this is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible, John 17. So there's so much we can learn from this chapter. And if you look at this chapter, the first five verses, it's interesting because here Jesus prays for himself. I kind of like that. I actually find that quite encouraging because it says to me, you know what? It's okay to pray for yourself. Sometimes we feel that only if we pray for some remote missionary in some unreached people group is that spiritual and we can't pray for ourselves. I want to tell you, you can pray for yourself. Also, Jabez, he prayed. He said, oh, God, that you would bless me indeed, enlarge my territory. And so you don't have to feel guilty praying for yourself. But yes, it needs to move beyond just praying for yourself. And then after the first five verses, in verses 6 to 19, we see that Jesus is praying for his disciples. In terms of this, Jesus has walked with these men for about three, three and a half years ministry imparting, giving into their lives, connecting with them, sharing life, doing life together. And here he spends time praying for them, even though he's with them all the time, he's spending so much time. 
Now, what I find significant is that this chapter 17 comes before chapter 18. That's really significant. But in chapter 18, Jesus is arrested. So what Jesus was praying about before he got arrested, I would say is muy importante. Very important. Okay? So... In terms of this, he is, uh, he's praying for his disciples. But then we see in verse 20 to 26 that Jesus prays for us. This is lovely. 2,000 years ago, I want to tell you that Jesus, while walking on earth, he prayed for you and me. And in terms of that, let's take a look at these verses. It says in John 17, verse 20 to 26, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, I do not, this is Jesus speaking, I do not pray for these alone. Who's these alone? His disciples. So I'm not just praying for the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's who's their word? It's the disciples' word. So Jesus is saying, I'm not only praying for my disciples, I'm finished praying through them for them now. Now I'm praying for those who will come after the disciples, who will get saved through the word that the disciples, the apostles have preached. And so much of that became scripture, which we have in the New Testament today. And so it's wonderful. Realize this. Jesus, so long ago, he was praying for you. Now, what was he praying for, for you and me? Let's look at it. And it says, I do not pray for these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word. And look what he prays, verse 21. That they all may be one. Let me say that again. That they all may be one. Is this a priority to Jesus? As you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them. Here again. That they may be one just as we are one. Verse 23. I in them. And you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Verse 24. Father, he keeps on praying. Jesus is still busy praying. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given uh, me. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these, the disciples, have known that you sent me. The last verse, verse 26. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it. That the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. The Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Amen. Amen. Good. I would suggest to you that the most important phrase in these few verses of scripture is the following. 
that they may be one. Please say that with me. That they may be one. It's the focus. It's on the heart of Jesus. He's praying to the Father. This is the key thing, that they may be one. And this is perhaps the most important phrase in this passage. Now, I would like to suggest to you that this phrase, that they may be one, has a dual meaning. And I'd like to, with having said that, refer to the first meaning in point number one. Here it is, point one. The phrase, that they may be one, refers to an intimate relationship. Would you please say intimate relationship? An intimate relationship that every believer can enjoy with God. Now, you might be surprised to hear that it refers to an intimate relationship with God because maybe you, like me, had always understood that it meant that we need to get along. In other words, it meant that as the body of Christ, we've got to get along with each other. And many people have understood that. And it may well refer to that as well, but I believe we're looking at the primary meaning here. And I want to tell you, I believe the primary meaning is intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. Notice the following phrases from our passage. These will appear on your screen. Verse 21, the first part says, that they all may be one, but how? It says, as you, Father, are in me and I in you. You know what this is telling us? It's saying that Jesus is wanting us to experience the same level of intimacy and closeness with the Father that he experiences. Now you begin to see that in a different light. That they all may be one. It's not just about getting along. It's about you being so close with the Father like Jesus is with the Father. Verse 21, the middle part, also on your screen, it says that they also may be one in us. So this speaks of a loving and a close relationship with God. This does remind me of John chapter 15. Two chapters earlier. This is focusing on abiding in the vine. And that is such a beautiful focus there. And the whole aspect that needs to come across is you and I vitally connected in relationship to the Father. And I believe that there may be some of you that have been challenged as you're hearing this because you say, John, if I'm honest with you, And it's good to be honest in a church. If I'm honest with you, I have drifted a little bit in terms of my closeness with the Lord. And it feels like I'm a bit distant with God at the moment. And I want to tell you that Jesus wants you close to Him. He wants you close to the Father. And you need to get tired of any obstacles or barriers or hindrances that are keeping you away from that close relationship that the Father, that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit desires you to have. And you need to come into that experience of walking closely with God. The way is open. Nothing is stopping you. The blood of Jesus has paved the way. And you can come boldly before the throne of grace. Come on. Can anyone get excited about that? There is nothing stopping you from enjoying this close walk with God. 
verse 23, the first part, it says, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Hmm. I in them and you in me. That basically means Jesus being in us, while at the same time, the Father being in Jesus. Can you see the closeness? So yet again, this speaks about experiencing oneness or intimacy with God. And so I want to say to you that there's no doubt in my mind that what we're reading about here is talking about an intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father. Folks, I want to encourage you in your relationship with God. I want to encourage you, keep on loving Him. Keep on praying. Keep on communion with communing with God. Keep on worshiping God. Keep on reading His Word. Purpose in your heart that you're not going to live, live B-level Christianity, but you're going to live A-level Christianity where you are really walking with God. But think about this. The God of heaven and earth desires that you would be so close to Him. What an incredible thing. And originally that was the plan in the Garden of Eden when with Adam and Eve, God would come and walk in the cool of the evening with them. Relationship was taking place. It was beautiful. Sin messed that up, but the blood of Jesus had made it possible that that barrier is removed. And now the purpose is reconciled to the Father. Close relationship with the Father. And in terms of knowing God intimately, I want to say... This is why Christianity is not really a religion. Christianity is a relationship with God. And I understand why they refer to Christianity as a religion, because how do you categorize all these different belief systems and so on? But at the end of the day, we're not trying to keep a religion going. We're trying to connect people to the Father, reconcile people to the Father. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. And so I want to encourage you in your relationship with the Lord because 2,000 years ago, Jesus was praying that you and I would have a close and intimate relationship with God and his desire has not changed. And we also know that Jesus is now on the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession. If he was praying for this oneness and intimacy way back then 2,000 years ago, I'd like to humbly suggest to you that he is still praying that prayer today. He's still wanting to see you move ahead in 2019, closer and closer into your walk with the Lord. Point number two, the phrase that they may be one also refers to unity in the body of Christ, the church. Think about that for a moment. So we said firstly, this phrase that they may be one refers to an intimate relationship with Father. But also it refers to unity in the body of Christ. Because if there is not unity in the body of Christ in the church, we're going to look like the, the, the biggest pawpaws in town. Because <laughs> we are not reflecting the heart of God. And so I believe that this is the secondary meaning, but it is nonetheless a very important aspect of Jesus' prayer. Now, do you know the word one appears six times in chapter 17? This would tell me that Jesus is passionate about oneness and unity in his body. And it is his deep desire that his body would be one together. 
And I just want to say to you today that it's not just up to the pastors to get churches interacting with one another. It is about you as the body of Christ in the city that you would be connected to people not just in this church, but that you would have relationship with other wonderful believers and that there's a huge cross-pollination. And maybe when there's an It's Time event, it's not just one church's volunteers that are going to help there, but there's so many thousands of volunteers from all the different churches and we're all working together and we're all praying for the nation. And so realize that there is a part that you can play in bringing about a greater sense of unity. Now, Jesus prayed, listen to this, for unity in the body of Christ, but this unity would only be able to be birthed out of oneness with God. You see, if you're trying to build unity in the body of Christ without first being united with God himself, it's simply not going to happen. Because what we receive in our connection to the Father individually enables us to be able to connect with this other brother next to me who's also walking in the same spirit, who has the same basis of the Word of God. In other words, first comes individual oneness with God, and then comes oneness among God's people. Do you think that's a fair statement? First oneness with God, and that actually empowers us to have oneness with our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Listen to this statement on the screen. It says, each branch that lives in union with God is united with other branches that are doing the same. Because let me tell you this, the closer you get to God, the closer we come to one another. Why don't you just bring up those two little pictures on the screen? Some of you may have seen this many times in uh, marriage courses, this triangle on the left is utilized. And basically what it's saying is a husband and wife at uh, each different bottom corner of the triangle, the closer they come to God, the closer they come to each other. Do you see that? And that's why it's so important to have a husband and a wife both seeking God. Because there's a level of your closeness in a marriage that can only be truly, fully experienced when you're coming closer and closer to God. So this is the time when you nudge your, your husband or your wife and you say, get close to God. <laughs> but also, this also applies in general. If you look at the little picture on the right, the little stick man, that might be you and the other stick man could be your brother or your sister in Christ. And the closer each of you get to God, the closer you come to each other. Now, let me say this. While there may be some division in the body of Christ in our city, some, I believe that Pretoria Tswane has so much to be grateful for in terms of the body of Christ working together in our city. Do you realize it? Do you perceive what the Lord has done? Many places around the country, they look to Pretoria as an example of churches working together, as an example of church leaders working together. I think of Love Pretoria East Pastors Network that for the last 20 years has begun to work together on bringing church leaders together. I think of the Tuani Church Leaders Forum doing the same sort of thing. 
And it's wonderful to see the unity that God is building. You know what? This is answer to prayer of what Jesus prayed so many years ago. It's wonderful to see the unity that is being established. But I want to tell you, 30 to 35 years ago, there was not that unity. There was such segregation between churches in our city. I remember even my dad's church. Nobody wanted to connect with my dad's church because he was open to the things of the Holy Spirit. And some other churches thought that this was of the devil, and they called him the Sector Kerk. What is that in uh, English? A sect. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I'm quite sharp this morning, eh? <laughs> oh, golly. Sometimes you have moments when you're preaching. <laughs> that was so obvious. But anyhow... And so nobody wanted to link up with my dad. But you know what? It wasn't just my dad's church. There were many other churches, even the Drisus, the Karka. They didn't even want to hang out together because, oh, they're so different and so on. But you know what? God has been breaking, dividing walls in the city of Tswane. And God is bringing his church together like it's never been seen before. And I still feel that this is early days and God will do so in even a greater way. Do you know there was a vision years ago seen by one of the intercessors in our city? And it was a vision that saw all the different churches as ponds, separated from each other. And all the ducks are swimming in their own ponds, and never the two shall meet. But then in that vision, they began to see that the reign of the Spirit of God began to fall in the city of Pretoria Tswani. So much so that the level began to rise and rise and rise, and eventually it became higher than the level of the ponds, and God brought a beautiful working together in an incredible way. And I want to testify and say, we are seeing it unfolding in front of our eyes. And it is good to behold. Amen. While preparing for this message, I was reminded of that song. The song says, Father, make us one. Let me, let me actually try to sing it. Father, make us one. Father, make us one that the world may know Thou hast sent Thy Son. Father, make us one. Amen. Isn't that your prayer? Make us one, Lord. Now. Point number three, which is a brief point as we come in for a landing. It says, point number three, God is bringing unity to his body so that the world will be convinced that Jesus was sent by God. I'd like you to say this with me out aloud. Here we go. God is bringing unity to his body so that the world will be convinced that Jesus was sent by God. That is thoroughly biblical. Verse 21, the second part, says the following. That they also may be one in us. Now look at this. That the world may believe. Please say the word believe. believe. That the world may believe that you sent me. You know, I think for a moment of South Africa, it's completely fair to say South Africa has problems with racism. Am I right? No doubt about it. But you know what? More and more, the churches in this nation are beginning to be examples of a wonderful unity. And I think of our own congregation. 
the wonderful diversity that we have here. And you know what? There is such a sense of oneness. Can we thank the Lord for that? Come on, put your hands together. Everybody feels welcome. Because you know what? It's a spirit from God. It's a spirit of unity that God brings about. And so I believe that more and more the churches will continue to set the example when the world and the community around us cannot get it together in terms of diversity of people groups, I want to tell you, I prophesy, the church is going to be the greatest example of unity in diversity to the glory of God because we become one in Christ. And actually, when you become one in Christ, you step out of your old culture and you come into a new culture. You know what it's called? It's called the culture of the kingdom of God. Come on, church. It's the culture of the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you, there is a culture that is far more important than any other culture. More than my white culture, if I can put it that way. There's a culture called the kingdom of God, and the kingdom culture comes first. Praise God. Verse 23, we draw into a close. The middle part says, That they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me. This is so powerful. I want, to re- I want to read this as I've written it here. This is so powerful to realize that the world's revelation of Jesus depends on the church's unity. That is what the Bible says. I want to read one quote from a theologian. It's on your screen. This theologian says, Dake is his name. He says, if Christians want to know how to convince the world that their religion is of God, then let them become one. Make no mistake about it. This is the secret of world recognition of Christianity. Would you please stand with me? Ask that no one leaves right now except the hospitality team. And I'm going to end off in prayer, and can I have my mic just a little bit louder in the house, please? I want to end off in prayer. But as I conclude, I do want to say this. I want to say, people, you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. We are all in the army of God. And God wants to use us as, listen to this, a unified and a powerful witness. Because only then will the world know that Jesus is real. And so I want to say to you, the prayer that our Savior was praying 2,000 years ago is so important. He was praying firstly that you would know an intimate relationship with God. He was praying secondly that you would know the unifying, the oneness of the body of Jesus Christ in this city, in this nation, and around the world. And he was declaring that when that oneness comes, the world is going to be amazed. The world is going to know that truly Jesus is for real. Let's bow our heads and we pray together. Dear Father, we submit ourselves to you. There is no higher name than the name of Jesus. We bow before your name today. Lord, as your people gathered here today, 
We are coming into agreement with the prayer that you prayed 2,000 years ago. Jesus, that prayer that you prayed, we say amen to that prayer. As your people, come on, say amen. We say amen to that prayer. We come into agreement and we say, Lord, let it be done according to your word. Let it be done according to your will. And so, Lord, now we open up our hearts and lives and we receive your word today. Let your word transform us. And, Lord, I pray that as a result of this message that more and more we would be close to you, Jesus. More and more, we would be communion with you, Jesus. More and more, we'd be worshiping with you, Jesus, because you loved us and you have drawn us into a loving relationship with you. Lord, we give you all the honor and all the thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people say, amen. Why don't you give the Lord a hand of praise? Why don't somebody just shout out hallelujah? Praise the Lord. God bless you. You are free to go. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a wonderful